Last week, the United States Supreme Court took oral arguments in the matter of Joe Biden's vaccine mandate for companies with 100 or more employees across the United States. During that proceeding, Justice Sotomayor made some statements that were blatantly false, shockingly inaccurate. Should Justice Sotomayor be required at this point to recuse herself from that case? The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's take a look at a few of the statements made by Justice Sotomayor. One of them was, quote, Omicron is as deadly as Delta and causes as much serious disease in the unvaccinated as Delta did. Okay, so that is not remotely what the data shows. And let me share that data with you. Daily deaths from Delta, that was the overwhelming predominant variant at the time we're talking about, Daily deaths from Delta in the U.S. the second half of 2021, the high watermark for deaths was on September 16th, and that number was 3,418, and that's according to Google's aggregated data. Yesterday's deaths, that would be as I'm recording this January 8th, 2022, which can be presumed to be far fewer Delta cases and far more Omicron cases, the number of deaths was 676. That's an 80% reduction from September. Since serious COVID-19 is what causes deaths from COVID, with an 80% drop in deaths from September until January 8th, it is irrational to say as did Sotomayor. Omicron is as deadly as Delta and causes as much serious disease in unvaccinated as Delta did. Sotomayor also said, quote, we have over 100,000 children, which we have never had before, in serious condition and many on ventilators. At the time Sotomayor made that statement, the seven-day average for that particular age group, which is 17 and under, was 766. So that means Sotomayor exaggerated the reality, the factual data, 130-fold. Furthermore, CDC's data from the time they started tracking 17 and under in hospitals for COVID, from that time until Sotomayor made that statement, the total number of 17 and under that have been hospitalized in the United States was just shy of 83,000. And CDC has noted that many of those hospitalizations were the, the patient, the 17 and under patient, was not there for COVID. They were there for some other procedure or they had a broken leg or they was something. And when they were admitted to the hospital for that, they happened to test positive for SARS-CoV-2. I don't know where Sotomayor came up with the claim that many were on ventilators. In the Delta era, CDC said that 6% of 17 and under demographic was on ventilators. And of course, we can imagine with Omicron having much milder symptoms, that number would be significantly reduced. However, just using the old Delta era 6% number, 
and the number of hospitalizations we just talked about a moment ago, that would mean that 46, 17 and under, were on ventilators. And to be clear, that's 46 out of 74 million, which is the population in the United States that's 17 and under. If we were to consider that that 80% reduction in deaths we just talked about a moment ago uh, would also indicate a 70% reduction in the number of 17 and under that are ventilated, if we use that as a working hypothesis, then that would mean nine were on ventilators. But no matter how you slice it, to characterize that there are many on ventilators is both inaccurate and grossly misleading. Understanding what Sotomayor said, what the data actually is, let's talk about recusal. United States federal court decisional law, as well as federal statutory law, requires a judge to recuse him or herself if there is, it can be actual bias, conflict of interest, or the appearance of bias. In that context, what bias can a reasonable person impute to Sotomayor's remarks? First, we need to take stock of the reality that Sotomayor uh, provided these wildly inaccurate numbers in a public United States Supreme Court hearing and read that into the official record without, apparently, taking the 30 seconds it would have taken to perform an internet search to find out what the actual numbers were. So how is that relevant to recusal? Judges are required when they consider a case brought before them to apply the fact situation to the relevant law that's being brought before them being challenged. When Sotomayor states data, numbers, that is 130-fold wrong, I believe it raises the very prudent question of whether she is capable of applying the true fact situation to the relevant law that's being brought before the court. Second, her blatantly false statements telegraph that she is predisposed to vote in favor of Biden's workplace vaccine mandate based on the principle that the ends justify the means. And without getting into whether the ends would even be achieved, the law absolutely does not work that way. Courts do not get to abrogate the law because the judge believes the situation makes it okay to ignore the law or do something other than the law says to allow something that the law does not or to restrict something that the law allows. Courts, even the Supreme Court, does not have that authority. In the matter before the court, the United States Supreme Court is being called to determine whether President Biden, any president, but he happens to be sitting in the Oval Office at this time, any president has the authority to order private citizens in the private sector to get vaccinated if they work for a company with 100 or more employees or be terminated. The question is, does the president have that constitutional or statutory authority? An additional issue before the court is whether OSHA has the authority based on Biden's instructions to do things that Congress has never authorized OSHA to do when it created OSHA or in any subsequent amendments to those laws. 
it's inarguable that OSHA does not have that authority, uh, leaving aside the question of whether OSHA can follow Biden's directive absent statutory authority. OSHA does not have statutory authority. So what the court is going to be called upon to determine is whether or not OSHA can exceed its statutorily granted authority because the president says so. That's a really steep hill to climb in legal terms. And it appears Sotomayor is already planning, she's laying this foundation with these false statistics to grant OSHA that authority, despite what the law says. In short, citing statistics, whether they're small, whether they're medium, whether they're large, citing statistics doesn't change the law. But if we want to get into statistics... I'm curious why Sotomayor did not cite the statistic that as of this past week, according to the CDC's provisional death count, uh, people who have died from COVID, let me rephrase that, people who have died with COVID-19 since the appearance of SARS-CoV-2 in the United States, total 24 one-hundredths of 1%. And of course, that percentage down the road, years from now, when researchers tear into all this data, it's very likely that that percentage, that 24 one of 1%, is going to drop significantly as they parse patients who died with COVID-19 from patients who died from COVID-19. Point three, Sotomayor is a 67-year-old type 1 diabetic who has chosen to remain obese. Now, there is scant evidence that being type 1 diabetic creates much of an increased risk from COVID-19. As a matter of fact, in September, the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism published a report saying that people with type 1 diabetes who are over 40 have a higher risk of hospitalization and death from COVID-19 because this group, and I quote, had a significantly higher prevalence of obesity, hypertension, and cardiovascular disease, and chronic kidney disease when compared to the younger groups. In other words, the increased risk didn't come from being a type 1 diabetic. It came from all those other chronic diseases that were just listed. Despite obesity being one of the most significant factors of high risk of serious COVID-19, which includes death, Sotomayor has chosen to remain obese. And when I say she has chosen to remain obese, I mean exactly that. Um, When there is a mechanism by which somebody can quickly, efficiently, and in a healthful manner drop the weight, they're no longer obese, and they don't follow that clear path to no longer being obese, it's right there. That's how you end being obese. And they choose not to do that. It's a choice. And Sotomayor has chosen to continue being obese. Obese. And when I say there's a clear path, I mean, people can have all sorts of ideas on how they would drop the weight that leads to obesity. But what I'm talking about, personal experience, I've actually written a book on it, is that keto or carnivore for just several months would have completely shed all of Sotomayor's excess fat. She would no longer be obese. And I'm not even saying that somebody like Sotomayor should stay on keto or stay on carnivore. That's a personal choice. But you certainly want to stay on it long enough to get rid of that obesity, no longer be high risk from obesity concerning COVID-19, and then make the dietary choices that perhaps one thinks is right for him or her to keep that weight off and not be high risk. But Sotomayor did Exactly 
the opposite. She chose to remain obese. I question whether a person who two years into an outbreak where we know that one of the most significant risk factors for severe COVID and possibly death is obesity, two years into that, she remains obese by choice. I question then whether voting on anything to do with SARS-CoV-2 or the vaccines can be considered unbiased. As you're almost certainly aware, there has been a huge push to stop misinformation concerning SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. Yet here we have a United States Supreme Court justice reading gross misinformation into the official record of the Supreme Court. And when I say it's misinformation and it's gross misinformation, uh, even CNN, it's as you are almost certainly aware, is rather left-leaning. Even CNN fact-checked her and said that, yeah, that's way, way, way off. And the Washington Post, again, a very left-leaning publication, gave Sotomayor four Pinocchios. So, for the reasons we've just covered, I believe judicial ethics and obedience to federal law requires Sotomayor to recuse herself in this matter. By the way, if you absolutely detest government misinformation and misinformation from the establishment at large, you are absolutely going to love body science and or income tax shattering the myths. Because in both cases, in their respective fields, in one case, human physiology with an emphasis on nutritional physiology, and in the other case, the law concerning income tax, when you get into those books, you will experience the establishment narrative utterly and completely shredded with science, in the case of body science, and with law, in the case of income tax shattering the myths. And in reference to income tax shattering the myths, when I say law, what I mean is things like United States Supreme Court decisions, treasury orders, treasury decisions, internal documents of the IRS, determinations from the Congressional Research Service, statutes, regulations, all of them cohesively ever since the adoption of the income tax, all of them, bar none, indicate that Congress has not indicated proofs that Congress has never imposed the income tax on the average American, gets up in the morning, has a cup of coffee, takes the kids off to school, goes to work, gets a paycheck every couple of weeks. That person, Congress, has never, ever imposed the income tax on. But you probably think they did because you've been fed the false establishment narrative since you were knee-high to a grasshopper. And whether it's body science or income tax shattering the myths, uh, nearly a week goes by that I don't see comments all across social media from people who have purchased and read these books that they are just floored by what they've learned. And they consider the information astoundingly valuable. So by going to drreality.news, grabbing yourself a copy of one or both, peeling the blinders off your eyes, and discovering some amazing truths, you will also help me to continue to be here for you with these kind of fact-based presentations. Thank you.